I know you probably don't want to sit down yet, but it is what it is. We got to open the word, right? Are y'all good with opening the word today? Thank you. Okay. Hey, um, you know, I can honestly say from the bottom of my heart how much we have missed you. You know, 14 weeks ago, we had no idea how long this would go on, how long um, this season would look the way that it does. But I wish I could stand and could tell you the number of things that have happened over the last 14 weeks that I don't know that they would have ever happened had we still been going through the routine of church. God has stretched us in more ways than he ever has thought imaginable. And because of that, he is the only one that can get the glory for it. And so that's why we're able to celebrate today. That's why we're able to enter God's house. And, you know, through this whole season, you know, we got to be so careful that we don't, that we don't try to manufacture things because it's very easy to try to manufacture things to, to meet people where they are. But what I love is how the spirit of God has led, how the presence of God has directed And what is unbelievable is that what we've been sharing every week, going right before COVID started, right before the shutdown happened, do you understand that that is the direction that God had led us months ago? And so every week we have seen God's word come to life. We've not had to manufacture anything. And you would think that that, that God might be in charge because every week I'm blown away as I open his word and say, God, There's no need to manufacture anything because your word's right where we're at. It's the very thing that we have needed to make it to next week, to make it to the next week. And what is awesome is today was a real hard one to not try to manufacture something because I'm a coach at heart. Okay, I'm a coach at heart. And so everything in my flesh wanted this morning, man, we can just have a big old pep rally. They don't even want to hear me talk. They don't even want to hear me speak. We can, man, we could just sing and worship for days. And I even started studying and started looking at things. Okay, what message can we pull out this week that can just build energy, that can just do this or do that? And God says, have I not brought you this far? Just look at where we're at. So I began begrudgingly to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And again, God meets us right where we're at. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're gonna be this morning. And you know, as a parent, most of you can, can relate to this. There's those pictures of your children that will be forever etched in your mind. Maybe, maybe you're a high school student or maybe, and now look, I know pictures look a lot different nowadays, okay? My era, we had this thing called a photo album. All right, it literally had a cover on the front, a cover on the back, or back and front, y'all know what I'm saying. And you used to have to go to Eckerd's and Revco and CVS, and man, when they introduced one hour develop, whoo, that changed everything, wasn't it? But literally, I can think back on my childhood, and I know my parents could think back on my childhood. You can think back on your life, and there's those photos that are just forever etched in your mind that you'll just always remember. Well, I received one of those photos last Sunday. Last Sunday morning, I got home and, and Breland Millwood, who has been taking pictures for us for the last forever and absolutely has been killing it. So y'all give Breland Millwood a, a, for what she's been doing. But she sent a picture 
that I want you to look at. I'm going to share it with you. It's on the screen. That is Sydney Reed and my four and a half year old deacon. That was her in the last song of worship last Sunday. Now, last Sunday, we had, a, a, we had our, our service where it was all of the volunteers. It was kind of our trial run for the day. And it was very emotional for me. It was very emotional for the staff because it, you gotta understand this is the first time we've communicated with, with you in a long time. And so I'm standing right over there getting ready to come up and preach and praying all day, God, keep my emotions intact. I won't get up there and be a blubbering mess and just be ridiculous. This is what I see right before I walk up on stage. Emotions went out the window. So you're all looking at that picture and you're all going, oh, aren't you? You're precious, right? Let's fast forward six hours later. Same precious little angel that's got her hand raised and even her eyes closed. Y'all see that? Like she took it the extra mile. She got her eyes closed. But she has a conversation on Sunday afternoon with Cherie Reed, Sydney's mother, and Deacon looks at Cherie and she says, I don't like church. <laughs> huh? Why not? Why don't you like church, Deacon? Because I got to raise my hands. <laughs> ha! Now look back at that picture. Changes the perspective, perspective just a little bit. Because really in her little mind right there, we wonder, is she going, oh, I absolutely hate this, but I'm just gonna pose for this photo because it's what I need to do. And you look at that, but because her actions were totally different than what her words were some six hours later, that creates confusion for anybody. That creates confusion for anyone. And so where we have to be careful and what I want us to think about this morning is how many times as we as believers guilty of the very same thing. We act one way, but we say something totally different. Or we say something totally different and then we act a certain way. Are we creating confusion? Is our life a stumbling block or a building block. And that's what Paul is gonna to allude to today in chapter 10. If you've been listening for the last several weeks, um, this whole idea of the freedom that we now have in Christ has kind of been the theme in chapter eight and chapter nine and now again in chapter 10 because you gotta understand in the context of who Paul's writing to in the city of Corinth, these are Jewish converts. These people have lived their entire life under the bondage of the law. They've been following rules. That's how they thought that they pleased God was I've gotta do this, I've gotta do that in order for God to love me. But now because of their newfound faith in Jesus Christ, they've been set free from the law. And so what we're watching and what Paul is addressing now is he's going back to the city of Corinth, writing them a letter because what he finds out is there's now believers, new believers, who are abusing that freedom. They're abusing that freedom. And so he has to tackle in chapter eight. He says, look, you have the freedom now to eat whatever you want. You no longer have to eat under the Jewish law. You have to eat this or you have to eat that. He says, you're now free from that. But then he puts a however in there and he says, but if your freedom forfeits your opportunity for someone to share the gospel with, then give it up. Don't do it. 
And then in chapter nine, we know that, that Paul kind of gives the example of himself. It's what you gotta love about Paul. Because we talked about that last week. He's never gonna ask us as the church to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. And so he gives us his example in chapter nine. Because you see, Paul was an apostle of Christ, which means he was employed, he was working for churches, he was doing this and he was doing that for the kingdom of God. And because of his apostleship, he had the freedom to ask for them to supplement him. He had the freedom to ask them to pay him. Look, I'm rendering my services, so therefore you owe me this, you owe me that. Here's what you need to do for me because this is what I'm doing for you. But you see, the Jews and the Gentiles had two total separate ideas when it came to work and it came to finances. One was way over here and one was way over there. And so had he gone in and demanded them to pay him, had he gone in and demanded them to supplement him for his services, he was potentially losing the opportunity to reach the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is why Paul says, it is my duty as a follower of Christ to become all things to all people, meaning I'm gonna lay down my freedom and my right to do what I want to so that I can reach everyone. I'm willing to lay it down. And so what we see is, I think what a lot of us can relate to. We see the battle of balance. We see the battle of balance that Paul is talking about, that we see all of these new believers wrestling with. And we see that it's something that we even as believers as the church today even wrestle with. We battle the balance of how do I balance my freedom in Christ with my responsibility as a follower of Christ. How in the world do I balance that? Because what we see is that we see two extremes. We see a lot of people who they only want to, because I'm a Christ follower, because Jesus is my savior, then they want to put their, their stake up in the camp of freedom. You know what, I'm forgiven so I can live however I want to. How many times have you seen the t-shirt? Or I, I think I may even used to own one, so. I burned it this week. Um, I'm just kidding, I didn't. But there's that t-shirt, there's that slogan that says, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. While yes, that's true, but where we have to be careful is that we as believers, we tend to gravitate over to this freedom side. And what we're saying is because I'm forgiven, you don't have the right to judge me. So therefore I can live however I want to live because I'm forgiven. I can do what I want to do, say what I want to say, do anything I want to do because I am forgiven. While yes, there's the element of truth to that. We have all been set free from the law. We've all been set free from the condemnation of sin in Christ. However, with that freedom comes responsibility. And what we can't do is we can't abuse the freedom and forget our responsibility. Now, I know you're probably sitting there going, man, I was expecting some encouraging message today. Well, you're thinking, I don't wanna get beat up this morning. Well, I've been beat up all week, so guess what? It's your turn today, okay? So we're gonna continue to talk about how as the church, as followers of Christ, do we balance the freedom and responsibility. I want you to look with me in verse 23. It's where we're gonna start this morning. Verse 23, Paul writes this. He says, all things are lawful 
but, I want you to circle but, underline it, whatever. Not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Two times there he says the very same statement. All things are lawful. What he's meaning by that is, yes, you have the freedom to live however you want to live. You, everything is lawful. You have, you have freedom in Christ, so you now can do whatever it is that you want to do, but, but, then he expands on that. Now, keep in mind that as we've been reading 1 Corinthians, he has dealt with a list of sins. You remember several weeks back, we listed out all of them. There was a whole bunch of lists, and we were all going, oh, my gosh, yep, check, got that one accomplished, check, got that one accomplished. And we all fell under conviction, or I know I did, Okay. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I fell at that one, I fell at that one, I fell at that one. And so that's when we're thankful for forgiveness, right? And so what we see is that this is the group of people that Paul is still talking to. He's been speaking of everything from sexual immorality to what foods they eat. He says, yes, you have the freedom to do all of this stuff because you are forgiven. But the problem is this, is we tend to focus so much on the freedom, we forget our responsibility. And so that's why he says, look, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Now, listen, when we, when we look at the context of the definition of what profitable means, it translates in our English language. But what the Greek was saying here is what he's talking about is what, the, what that means is it, if it's not profitable, meaning does it have the ability to unify the body of the church? Is it advancing the church? Is it bringing people closer together in Christ? Does my life push someone to draw closer to the church, the, the, the big C church? So therefore, if it's not, then if it's lawful or profitable, then we've missed the mark. Is the lifestyle that we're living and the actions that we're participating in, we have the freedom to do whatever we wanna do, but is it unifying the body? Is it unifying the church? Then he goes on to say next, he says, look, all things are lawful, but not all things edify. Well, that, what, what we see when we look at the word edify here is that means does my lifestyle prompt another believer to advance in their spiritual walk with Christ? The lifestyle, what people are seeing in me, what people are watching me do, is it pushing them, is it prompting them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ? And so what Paul's challenging to do, he says, look, if what you're doing is not unifying the church, if what you're doing is not advancing the growth of other believers, then don't do it. You have the freedom to do it, but you also have a responsibility and that responsibility is to grow the church and to make disciples. It's that simple. It's that simple. So the question is, is my life, is your life a stumbling block or is it a building block? Yes, we have the freedom, but we also have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to grow the church and to prompt the growth of other believers. So if my lifestyle, if my freedom, if my liberties are not doing these two things, that I'm forgetting about my responsibility. 
that I'm forgetting about my responsibility. And you see, I know you're probably, some of you in your mind, you're going, well, wait a minute. If there's freedom, that whole idea of responsibility sure sounds like some rules I've got to follow. It sure sounds like that you're giving me a to-do list today. Sounds like that I've got to do this or I've got to do that. But what we got to understand is that our responsibility, us owning our responsibility is our response to what Christ has done for us. We don't walk with our responsibility trying to earn God's love. We don't walk with our responsibility trying to make God love us more. We're not doing all of these things so that God is just sitting up there going, man, he's got it all together. No, we do that in response because when he looks at us, he sees the blood of Christ applied to our lives. And he said, the blood is why they do have it all together. And so that's our response is to own that responsibility. You think about it, just a very simple analogy. You've worked hard. There's this gift in mind that you wanna give someone. And you think, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work hard so I can buy that and then I'm gonna give it to whomever it may be. So you go in and you purchase this gift and you walk up to them and you, you go to present them their gift. You're so excited. You're so nervous about what their response is gonna be. And then all of a sudden you give it to them and they look at it and they turn and they walk off. Now, look, I know all of you that you're super spiritual and you're going, but, oh, but at least I got to, to be a blessing. You're lying. As they walk off, you're going, you jerk. I worked hard for that. The least you could say is thank you. Why do you think that we do that to our children? Why do you think that when our kids, somebody gives them a piece of candy or somebody gives them something and all of a sudden they snatch it and they run off, what are you as a parent? You're mortified. I know we are because it happens a lot. So if you ever see us running down the hallway, Deacon, get back here and tell them thank you. Why do we do that? Because we want them to respond for what's already been given. And you see, as a follower of Christ, when we own our responsibility, when we look through the lenses of does my life, is it advancing the kingdom of God? Is it making disciple? Is it pushing others to grow in their spiritual walk with him? If we look at it through those lenses, do you understand that is our way of saying, thank you, God, for what you did when you sent your son to die on the cross? When we can devote our life to that depth, that is simply us just saying, thank you. Thank you. So our responsibility is our response. And so we look at verse 24. He expands on this just a little bit more and honestly kind of simplifies it for all those who, and even myself included, who didn't quite fully understand all of what he said in 23. Look at what he says in verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. What we want to look at right quick, we're gonna break this down into about three different fr phrases here so we can truly understand the context of what Paul's writing about. When he says, let no one, he is talking to the believers. 
He is saying, let, let no believer, let no follower of Christ, let no one that wears their badge that I am a Christian, let no one of those people of us, let no one seek their own good. You see, as a church, as a follower of Jesus Christ, our responsibility is that, is to, is to seek. He says there, seek. He says, actively pursue. So our duty as a follower of Christ is his let no believer seek his own good. Let no believer put himself first. Let no believer put his thoughts, his opinions in front of everybody else's. But he's saying, here's what I want you to do. He said, put others first. Put others first. And he says that by calling them their neighbor. Do you know who the neighbor is? The neighbor is anyone, anyone that God places around you. That could be your next door neighbor, literally. That could be a coworker. That could be a friend. That could be a family member. That could be a child. But what Paul is challenging us with here is look, as a believer, don't seek your own interest first, but seek the interest of everyone else. Because when we're putting others first, guess what? It's not so that we get patted on the back, but when we put others in front of us, we are never more of an example like Christ than when we are putting others first. And when we're putting others first, guess what we're doing? We're creating a platform so that we can share the truth of God's word with them. Because you know, one time there was a man. There was a man that had the freedom, that had the liberty, that had the ability to stop the Roman soldiers from ripping the flesh off of his back. There once was a man who had the freedom, who had the ability to stop them from pressing the crown of thorns into his skull. There once was a man who had the freedom to stop them from spitting in his face. There was once a man who had the ability and who had the power that he could have stopped his horrific murder that took place on the cross. But you know what he did? He lived by verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Because what Jesus Christ in that moment did, he said, you know what? I'm dying to what is good for me right now. And I'm going to lay my life down for what is good for you. What is good for me? Because Jesus said, I'm giving up my freedom because my duty, my calling is to put others first and to glorify God. You know, you think about it. If, if our nation right now was living by verse 24, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor? Can you imagine how much different our country would look right now? Can you imagine what would be taking place in the city of Atlanta? Can you imagine what would be taking place all around this country? Can you imagine what would be taking place in Minneapolis? Here's the truth. If we lived by this, we would have never gotten to where we are now because we would have put others in front of us. 
Instead of wanting just to be, for lack of better words, jerk. Instead of wanting to do this, instead of wanting to do that, we would wake up every morning going, how in the world, God, can I put other people in front of me? And if that was our heart's desire, if we woke up every morning with that heartbeat, here's the truth. We wouldn't have to be fighting for justice. We wouldn't have to be fighting for this or fighting for that because we would be walking in the peace and the freedom of an almighty God who loves us all. And we would be meeting everybody where they are because it's not about us. Because it's not about us. How different would we look? You see, Jesus figured it out. He put others first. And he lived a life to glorify his father. Verse 31 Verse 31 simplifies that whole glorifying God thing. If there's any gray area in your life of understanding, can I do this or can I do that? The question is very simple. What you're choosing to do, does it glorify God? (laughs) It's that simple. Look at verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. You see, I know he mentions eating and drinking, but it's much bigger than eating or drinking. You know, I know that we all, over COVID-19, we flooded grocery stores and we all started binge eating, but we all did it to glorify God, right? That was kind of our justification. I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. That's where the COVID-19 came from, right? That's where it all came from. But that's not all what he's talking about here. He said, everything that you do, Whether eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. And you may wonder, well, Brian, what what, what does he mean by the glory of God? Go back to what we read in verse 23 and 24. Does your lifestyle create unity in the church? Does it prompt other believers to grow in their advancement in their walk with Christ? Or is your lifestyle, is the things that you're actively doing, the things that you're living in, is it doing exactly what my four and a half year old daughter did? And that's create absolute confusion and chaos. So to glorify God, we go back to 23 and 24. It's what I'm choosing to do Is what I'm choosing to give into, is it advancing the kingdom? Is it creating an atmosphere for me to be able to share the gospel with people who don't know? Am I putting others first? Am I putting others first? Now, I know you're sitting there thinking we could stop right now and You can look at me and go, man, Brian, that just sounds so super spiritual. That sounds, sounds easy. I think we can all do that. Can I tell you that this is the battle of balance? Because your flesh, we still wrestle. We still have desires. We still have wants to, wants to, want, want to's, 
Well, I put the S in the wrong place twice. Want tos. There we go. But how many times during this COVID-19, how many times has the enemy shown back up? Maybe you've had some idle time at home. Maybe you've had some idle time in your workplace or maybe your workplace was at home. You know what the enemy began to do? The enemy began to remind you of your freedom. He began to tempt you in ways that maybe you thought you had buried the hatchet. You thought it was over. Man, I have whipped that. I have whipped this. But all of a sudden, in all of this idle time, the enemy has shown back up. And he's sitting there whispering in your ear. Well, remember, hey, you've been set free in Christ. So just this one time, you've got the freedom to do it. You can ask for forgiveness in a little while. Just give in. You've got the freedom, remember. You're not perfect, but you're forgiven. And so we listen to those voices. And we say, you know what, I'm, you're right. Man, I've wrestled with the stress of not knowing if I'm gonna have a job. I'm wrestling with the stress to know if, if I'm gonna be able to pay this bill. I'm wrestling with this, I'm wrestling with that. And all of a sudden our tension level is up here. And now our flesh starts screaming, I deserve this, or I deserve that. I deserve this, whether it's addiction, whether it's clicking on something on the internet, whether it's taking a sip that you thought you had whipped it, whether it's playing with some kind of drug that you thought you had whipped. Now the enemy wants you to run back because you have freedom, right? It's true. But you also, as a follower of Christ, have a responsibility. Because here's the deal. If we give in to that temptation, we fall flat on our face. In most cases, guess what? You don't fall alone. Other people are gonna fall right with you. And the enemy knows, man, if I can get them to walk in this freedom, man, they're gonna sow so much confusion. Maybe somebody was so close to stepping into their faith with God, but now all of a sudden they see a lifestyle that doesn't line up with what that little spiritual four and a half year old is doing. And it creates confusion. Church, we've got a responsibility. And you know, as I begin to think about that, because the truth is, if we're living a life that doesn't, if we're living a life where we're constantly giving in to the, the temptation of our flesh and we're constantly giving in to sin, it's pretty simple. When we do that, guess what? We don't glorify God. It's that simple. We don't glorify God. And I begin to think through my life over the last 13, 14 weeks, and I begin to examine my heart and go, man, how many areas of my life are not glorifying God right now? Because I don't know about you, but there for a little while, the tension in the whole house was maxed out. Everybody was tired of everybody. Nobody knew what the next day was gonna hold. And so it didn't take much to set anybody off, especially my wife, right Chelsea? 
<laughs> I just set it off again. Sorry. Dang it. I'll pay for that one later. <laughs> Anyhow. But what happened is the enemy knows that. And so as I began to think and pray, just to be very transparent, I got very discouraged. Because I began to examine all of the places in my life that I've got four little kids that are watching everything I do. Everything I say. Every time they see me lash out in anger. Every time they see me get frustrated. Guess what? I'm not glorifying God. And you know what my kids are gonna reproduce? They're gonna reproduce what they see. And so as I sat at my desk, almost in tears going, God, I'm sorry. I failed you, I've failed my family, I've failed my kids. But then God being who God is, he reminded me of something that Paul had previously said in verse 13. Look at what verse 13 says. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Man, we just sing about the way maker. When you face temptation, that's the promise that you just get from his word that he's gonna create a way. He's gonna create a way out. And for whatever reason, church, we have... We've lost our faith in the power of this word. I wanna invite you to do something. Today when you go home, maybe tomorrow when you get up and go to work, the enemy, the tempter's gonna show up, I'm just telling you. He's gonna remind you of your freedom. He's gonna remind you that you can live however you want to. He's gonna remind you that you are not perfect, that you're just forgiven. And when that flesh begins to want to entertain that, when that flesh begins to want to, to toll that idea, number one, is it profitable to the kingdom? Number two, is it edifying the church? You say, well, Brian, I get all that. And the, I know the answer. The answer is no. But Brian, how do I fight it? How do I fight the temptation? How do I fight the urge? We fight the same way Jesus fought. When Satan tempted Jesus Christ, how did Jesus Christ begin with every rebuttal that he spoke back to the enemy? For it is written. When you're sitting at that computer, you're working from home. And all of a sudden that link pops up. I wanna invite you to do this. You look at whatever that entertaining picture is and you look at it. You look at that enemy square in the face and you say, it is written that my 
God is faithful. And look, he may not leave you alone the first time. You look at him again. It is written, my God is faithful. He may turn it up a notch. He may turn it up a notch. You know what? When he turns it up a notch, you turn it up a notch. God is faithful. You speak the truth of God's word to the enemy and guess what? He is scared to death. He will flee. For whatever reason, we don't think, we don't understand the power that is in this word. Church, it's time that we get back to the power of this word. This is what changes everything. So when you are faced with temptation, when you are wanting to live for yourself, when you're wanting to live for your flesh, you be reminded that God is faithful. And you know what? I don't really know how you end a day like today. This has not been that <laughs> cheerleading moment. Church, what a better time. We are all sponges right now because we want everything fixed. The only way that everything's gonna be fixed is by the love and the grace of an almighty God. Go out this week and live with a mindset of verse 24 that you're gonna put the needs of everybody else before yours and you watch things change. But maybe you're here this morning and you're that guy, you're, you're me. On Tuesday when I was studying, I was so discouraged because I had saw every crack where I had fallen short in my family and in my walk. Maybe you just simply need to be reminded today that God is faithful. When you face temptation, He is going to provide a way out. He just, we just read it. It's there, it's the truth. But maybe you haven't looked for those ways out and you have entertained. And maybe you have fallen right back into some addiction. Maybe you have fallen right back into the slavery of sin. And maybe you need to start this morning and look, here's the truth. I've wrestled with, man, you, you ought to hear how simple-minded this little guy is. I sat up here just a little while ago in both services, looking around and going, oh, I see that family sitting by themselves. Oh. I see that guy sitting by, man, that's terrible. We gotta be, and I'm like, oh, no, never mind. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. So thank you for doing that, by the way. And you know, I've wrestled with this whole thing of, you know, do we, do we close the altar? Do we not give people the freedom to, to come and pray? I wanna tell you right now, by the conviction and the Holy Spirit living in me, this altar will never be closed. So this morning, even if you need to get up right now in this moment, you're wrestling with sin that you thought was done. I invite you to go ahead and begin moving. We don't have to start singing a song. We don't have to do this. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're over this whole thing and you just need strength, but maybe you need to be on your face praying this morning and you need to ask for God's guidance. Feel free to come now. Don't be married to, oh, we hadn't played a song yet. We hadn't sang a word yet. But I want you to stand to your feet this morning. Let's pray for the help from the Holy Spirit. How do we balance our freedom with our responsibility? God, I thank you through your presence here today. And 
God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, let us be obedient. Let us respond to what you're speaking right now in this moment. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.